Hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. Today, we're glad to have Krista Backard back with us to talk about some updates in COVID-19 treatments. Krista, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. So, you know, the big thing on everybody's mind as we're recording this just a, a few days before Christmas is the Omicron variant. Um, I had sent out an, an email last week talking about the percentage of it in the U.S. population. And when I, at the time, last Wednesday, when I sent it out, in our region, it was less than 1% of all cases. Um, and then I checked the news this morning, and it had risen to greater than 75% in the U.S., and it was 95% in, in our region. So just kind of a, a very rapid rise. Um, so wanted to first just talk a little bit about uh, the monoclonal antibodies that we have and the ones that are effective against this variant. So can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, citrovimab and and I also just I guess how the the other monoclonals might uh, fare against uh, the Omicron variant? Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and start with the ones that we're actually you know more comfortable giving, and that's the Regeneron um, and the um, Bamlanivimab, Sevimab product. Um, and with those, what they're finding is that there's decreased uh, neutralization of the Omicron variant um, with those products. And so really um, going forward with Omicron, they probably won't be something that we'll be able to use um, in our patients uh, as post-exposure um, prophylaxis or actually, you know, once they have the treat, uh, have the virus. Um, be able to use them to neutralize the infection. But um, the new product, the citrovimab, which we um, have kind of been keeping in our back pocket for a while, um, what it's been showing in some preclinical data is that it does maintain its uh, ability to neutralize the Omicron variant um, um, in some in vitro studies. So not really in patients quite yet, but in the, uh, in the clinical realm, um, it is showing that it maintains some of its ability to do that. Um, and so the one thing that we were able to do with um, at least the uh, Regeneron product was that we were able to switch to doing it sub-Q versus IV, which has allowed us to give it to a lot more patients. Um, by switching to the Citrovimab product, we're going to be going back to an IV infusion that's over 30 minutes um, with one hour of monitoring afterwards. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be something that we'll we'll have to keep in mind as we're trying to schedule patients, which may be a little different um, than when we our ability to do um, that with a Regeneron product. Um, it is for, and I guess I should talk about who this Citrovimab has been studied in and who it um, would who would meet criteria for using this. According to the EUA, that was approved by the FDA. Um, it's approved for treatment to mild to moderate COVID-19 in adult patients and pediatric patients that are greater than or equal to 12 years of age or weighing at least 40 kilograms with a positive uh, test result for COVID-19 and are at high risk for progression to severe COVID-19 disease. Um, it's not authorized for patients who are hospitalized or need oxygen due to COVID or have an increased oxygen need if they're on baseline oxygen. So this is similar to the Regeneron um, in, the in the Lily product. Um, and so that, you know, pretty much our criteria is the same for um, 
for all of the monoclonal antibodies. But um, in the study that was done with the citrovimab that was published in the November 18th edition of the New England Journal of its phase three trial, one thing that's a little different is that the symptom onset that they used in this study was less than or equal to five days. So what we're finding with COVID in general is that the quicker we're able to give these patients treatment, whether it be an antiviral, a monoclonal antibody, they tend to fare better. And so um, the primary outcome of this trial was for um, prevention of hospitalization for greater than 24 hours um, for any cause of death within 29 days of randomization. And with this study with the citrovimab, it showed a relative risk reduction of 85%. Um, so I, I do think that it's something that, um, that would be a benefit to our patients in our region, especially um, if it does maintain the neutralization of the Omicron variant. And, and was that study done in patients that were vaccinated and had boosters, or is there any consideration, or is this, pro, I guess what I should say is, is this um, therapy available for those that have both had the vaccinations and the boosters since maybe they'll have a, a lower risk for disease progression? Um, I don't, I don't, do not remember seeing that it, it said unvaccinated or vaccinated. Um, it just said patients who were tested positive and were high risk for progression of the disease. Um, and it was a small group of patients. It was 583 patients that were studied. Um, and the patients that um, did get the citrovimab, three patients within the um, citrovimab group, which was 1%, progressed on to um, the primary endpoint, whereas in the placebo group, 21 patients did, which was 7%, and five of those went on to the ICU, and actually one patient died. And so, um, you know, there is a benefit, whether or not it's vaccinated or unvaccinated patients. Um, I don't remember if it specifically designated that within that study. Okay. Uh, but but going back to you know the vaccinations I guess so with with Omicron you know every part of the news is how you get a lot more uh, breakthrough cases whether you've had the infection before or whether or not you've been um, you know completed that two dose vaccination series uh, but how does the booster play in as far as a you know defense against uh, contracting Omicron do we have data on that we have a little bit of laboratory data that indicates that. Um, if you get your the if you get the two dose series, um, you still maintain the ability to decrease your chances of progression to severe disease, and that's from some of our innate immunity with the T cells. Um, with getting the booster vaccine, the third one, what we're doing is we're inc increasing the body's ability to have antibodies, which would be another layer of defense, and so. Um, with the two-dose series, what we're finding against Omicron is that we have about a 30% um, neutralization of the antibodies, um, but whenever we actually get the um, booster, we can maintain it back to where we were originally or higher at greater than or equal to 80% protection. And so um, getting that booster is going to be important. Um, the one caveat to that is those patients who have gotten the Johnson & Johnson booster um, they're not, no longer recommending Johnson & Johnson boosters, and they're actually recommending these patients to get an mRNA booster with either Pfizer or Moderna. Um, and so that would be the only change as far as getting booster, getting the boosters. And it is boosters for everybody that are adults. They're still looking at the data um, in children. Um, specifically right now, those that are um, greater than 16 years of age or older. 
Great, thank you so much for that. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the new oral medications that are coming out uh, that we've been hearing a lot about in the news. Let's start with, I believe, the, the Merck product that's probably a little bit further along, um, the Molnupiravir. What can you tell us about this drug? Um, well, with the Molnupiravir, um, it was studied in what they called the, the move-out trial. Um, and they had did publish data this week in the New England Journal, which was a planned inter interim analysis. And so with the move-out trial and the Molnupiravir, this was started within five days of symptom onset with COVID. And so it's going to be important um, with our primary care providers that are identifying these patients that we're trying to start these as quickly as possible once um, they are um, designated as or have tested positive for COVID. Oh. But this study, it was done in non-hospitalized, unvaccinated adults with laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 that had at least one risk factor for severe COVID illness. And what it's showing is roughly a 30% reduction in hospitalization and death. Um, it, early on, it showed a little bit better reduction in hospitalization and death, um, but um, with the emergence of the Delta variant, the findings became a little bit less robust following that emergence. Um, it is, um, when it, if, whenever it is prescribed, it's a dose of 800 milligrams twice a day for five days. It only comes as a 200 milligram capsule, so patients would have to take four capsules twice daily for five days, um, and it does come as a packaged, uh, come packaged as a 40 capsule supply, so um, it would just come as a bottle of 40. Um, but the data isn't as exciting as it once was. Um, it did narrowly um, receive approval by the FDA to go forward in its path of approval to emergency use authorization. And so um, we're waiting on some more data to come in before the EUA is actually authorized for this. Yeah, a, a couple of points there that that stood out to me. One, the, the study was done in unvaccinated individuals that had high risk for disease. So if you're a healthy person that has had, you know, a full dose series and, and a booster, um, this may not be the drug for you based on, on the data so far? Correct. And the EUA, when it comes out, probably wouldn't even include, you know, healthy outpatient individuals um, for its approval? I would I would think not, no. I would be okay. surprised. Yeah, it's very interesting. And so a 30% reduction in hospitalizations for those that received the drug versus those that did not. Um, okay, let's move on to the Pfizer product, uh, Paxlovid, a little bit easier to say. Um, what can you tell us about this drug? Uh, what I can tell you is that there's there's not a full disclosure of information that's out there yet. There's not a whole lot of actual study data, just more preliminary data that's being released here and there. Um, but what it's been showing is that it reduces the risk of hospitalization or death by 89% if administered within three days of symptom onset. Um, but it also retains that ability to reduce the risk of hospitalization or death if it's given within five days. So um, very similar to the Merck product where it was um, approved to, or studied in within five days of symptom onset. Um, the Paxlovid, you know, maintains that with, you know, we can do that within five days. It'll be interesting to see what the EUA says whenever it comes out of whether or not we need to do within three days or within five days. But this is very similar to Tamiflu as well, which we are very familiar with, with um, influenza. Um, you know, typically we shouldn't be 
prescribing Tamiflu if they're outside that 72-hour window anyways. And so I think this falls into um, similar treatment of all viral infections whenever we do have antivirals available. The one thing that's a little different with the Paxlovid is that it needs to be given with a ritonavir booster. Um, so you're adding another drug to this Paxlovid. Um, and so you're needing to give it in addition with that. Um, but it does target, it works differently than our monoclonal antibodies and our vaccines where it's not specifically targeting the spike proteins, it's inhibiting the enzymes that the virus needs to replicate. So that's why it's so important with some of these antivirals to give them early in the symptom onset so that we're interfering before the virus gets too full blown within our system. No, that makes sense. Yes. And, and we're all pretty familiar with Tamiflu and the need to, to start that you know, really soon in the disease course to really have any benefit. Um, the, the Paxlovid and the Ritonavir, you know, certainly is, is interesting. And my understanding is that the Ritonavir is there to boost the level of the, the Paxlovid. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. And what side effects uh, are we familiar with for any of these drugs, either the, the Molnupiravir or the Paxlovid or the, or the Ritonavir? Uh, that you know, maybe the that have been explained or, or that we know about from the bertonavirs just you know being in existence for a while. Well, with the molnupiravir, um, what the study showed was a little bit higher um, adverse drug event of diarrhea. They're saying in the study that the um, study drug, the molnupiravir, had an increased risk of bacterial infection. And and for that one, I, I thought I read something about where it would not be advised uh, in pregnancy, or is or did I read that wrong? No, that is correct. Right now, there there is concern that there is um, a risk of uh, fetal develop uh, risk to fetal development if given with pregnant patients. And so, right now, I think that's part of the concern with moving forward with the EUA is that you know we could potentially pose a risk to. Um, patients who may maybe unknowingly know that they're pregnant or not. Okay. And then do we know anything about uh, the Paxlovid uh, side effects? The Paxlovid, I, I do believe that it was still, um, diarrhea was one of the top adverse drug events. And, and then do we know anything about the, the ritonavir? You know, the one concern that, um, that I see is in, in an outpatient side is that, you know, Ritonavir is known as an HIV drug, and so trying to make your patients comfortable with um, taking a drug that has been labeled as an HIV drug um, could be another challenge in our treatment. Uh, no, certainly. You know, I think that'll that'll certainly make the make for a delicate situation. Yeah. And so with the ritonavir, you know, it's going to be some diarrhea, some headache, um, maybe a little lethargy. Um, but mostly those things you're going to see with COVID-19 infection as well. So it'd be hard to probably tease out what was the side effect from the drug versus maybe what you're having from COVID-19. Now, oh, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, well, you know, I think this is all, you know, very exciting. Uh, we, we finally are getting some newer therapies for for COVID that are hopefully coming out within the next month or so, maybe even in time to, to deal with the Omicron wave. Um, and then, you know, there's some 
it, we're still kind of in the early phases of, of seeing what Omicron is going to do, but you know, hopefully the the rumors of of decreased severity and decreased hospitalizations carry forward for us. But um, you know, we will likely have to make that switch from our, our regular monoclonal antibodies to the the new centrovimab uh, uh, within the next few weeks. So that could be a hiccup. But I really appreciate you you coming on and and giving us an update. Uh, on all these new therapies. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the medical staff? I don't think so at this time. I, I would say, you know, just keep everything posted. The oral agents, you know, they're going to be more of an outpatient arena. I don't see it being something that impacts us from the inpatient side. Um, with the, the start of the, you know, getting the oral agents, there may be some distribution and logistical issues that do need to be um, worked out um, as we've had with all of our EUA agents. So hopefully um, we can, all of our outpatient areas are anticipating and trying to come up with a plan before we get that, those agents so that everything moves smoothly. No, no, that's, uh, that's a great point. Well, well, thank you again for coming on and thank you for everyone for listening to Right Care at Baptist. Uh, please follow the link in the show notes to redeem your CME credit and have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Dr. Lancaster. Merry